Hey, hey, welcome back. Before we get started with this episode, a few housekeeping items. The momentum continues to build. I have been, again, pleasantly surprised by the number of people reaching out to me and the number of of listens and some of the feedback that I've been getting. Um, People are now texting me saying, yo, Elgin, when's the next episode going to drop? Is Aquino Part 2 coming out yet? And I have to be like, hold on a sec. Like, I'm a single dad. I'm doing this shit in my spare time. So um, just bear with me, okay? But that's happened for multiple people. Um, apparently, I've, I've also gotten feedback from a few people that um, they're doing multiple listens, which is which is really cool to hear about and not something that I ever really expected. But, um, you know, for, for me and the way that I listen to things, I can't think of... I can think of many films that I've seen over and over, but there's been no podcast that I've listened to any single episode more than once. And maybe I'm unique in that, maybe I'm not. But the fact that multiple people have come to me and said that they've listened to the whole series multiple times already or you know, might be halfway through their second listen and certainly they intend on listening to, to, to everything multiple times uh, – that's been uh, it's been really encouraging, and it's really awesome to to think of you know striking striking a chord like that. So I'm um, delighted to hear that. If anyone has any other feedback like that, then please let me know. I want to know how you're listening to this, what's working for you, what's not, what you want to hear more of. Um, this is my format, and I can do whatever I want with it, and I can change it, and I want to continue to experiment and uh, and evolve it going forward. Uh, okay, let's pause there now. Let's talk about Akina. This is part two of my interview with Akina Cox. I hope you listen to part one because that's the the foundational backstory. Um, this one is really interesting, and and this in this one we talk more about some of the just the crazy things that we experience, the crazy stories. Um, we're going to talk about the blood in the rice cookers. We're going to talk about the AIDS teddy bear. Yes, you heard that correctly. The AIDS teddy bear. What the fuck? Are you fucking kidding me? This is just, yes, listen, just hold on to whatever you're sitting in because, yeah, you, that's, that is fucking crazy. I cannot believe I, I have ever said that. And it happens every time I talk to someone. There's a new phrase that just shocks me to the core. I was trying to figure out what to name this episode. And um, there are so many juicy titles in here that I couldn't really figure it out carry the documentary aids teddy bear do you trust anyone question mark trauma bonding question mark culturally moony yeah i mean there's a lot happening here uh i'm just gonna shut up there and not give any spoilers here it goes folks part two of my interview with akina cox actually hold on one more thing i just want to go back to that slew of potential titles for this episode just take a moment and try and gain some perspective here. If a loved one of yours told you that their childhood was filled with those phrases, the AIDS teddy bear, carry the documentary, can I trust anyone? What would you say to them about whether or not they should be part of that thing that was making them describe their life like that? Just think about that for a second. Here it goes. Part two with Akina Cox. There's still so many things for that. Exactly. Family. It's just so unnecessary to be all 
yeah to doing it for guns i want to say that like i i've just talked about how much i hate the church yeah but like if anyone's listening that's like a a a church kid like what we were talking about in the beginning about our love of like other church kids like brothers and sisters like i still feel that what's nice is growing up and realizing that the relationships that i have between all my friends that i grew up with in the church like that doesn't that bond doesn't need to go away just because we're not in the church like that's been the thing that's like rooted my adulthood really Mm. And I still totally feel like if anyone I grew up with or I didn't grow up with you, but you like listening to my weird cartoon voice, <laughs> like if you want to like reach out to me, just let me know. Because yeah. if like, especially if you're like just recently leaving or something, or if you're a spe- like if you're gay and you don't have an older sister who will fight for you or Mm. knit you a rainbow scarf like just let me know yeah no that's awesome that's really good to hear and and I just wanted to echo that like I actually feel like um like I still count some of my best friends now as like people that I grew up with in the church yeah uh and I'm doing this project now and I'm making new friends as a result and it's like when I have this conversation with people we already have like I already have a, a an immense amount of trust and respect for you exactly uh, because I know we have that that common ground and it's not that yeah. I wouldn't like you know eventually get there with someone else but there's just this level of understanding that you that you have with each other like like you know basically you know cult survivors effectively like we've gone through the same set of abuse basically so it's, there's a, there's a it's, core understanding there right um yeah it's and, trauma bonding I think is the yeah yeah I think that's <laughs> I feel probably like this is like us at a VA just tra- training yeah. training war, war stories yeah there. exactly exactly um but yeah no I just wanted to echo that and and, and I, I would probably say like my the the relationships that I have with with people that I grew up with in the church have probably deepened as a result of coming out of yeah. the church because you can just be real about what's actually going on in your life now, uh, as opposed to trying to, you know, you know, lie about, you know, trying to fit into the church effectively. Some of us in the LA area go camping like every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And there was this like guy who came with us, who was more of like a, a recent, he had just left the church where I feel like, or he was like kind of on the cusp, yeah. whereas a bunch of us had left years earlier. Yeah. So we spent the whole weekend just like being in our tents and, and drinking at night and yeah. going on hikes and looking at trees in the day. And then on the way back, he sent this group text and he was like, that was the best camping ever. He was like, that was like going to summer camp, but only the good parts yeah. minus all the bad parts like all the lectures and it was just this moment where I was like oh yeah we get to choose what we do together like we have this bond and we get to like just hang out and go to concerts or 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 cry about stuff or have beers or whatever yeah it's or play board games it's it's amazing yeah yeah exactly and I I'm I'm really glad you mentioned that because I do I I do think like that bond still exists and people shouldn't be afraid of losing that bond if they're thinking of leaving if anything it'll only deepen I I would say 
yeah. and it has been interesting. I mean, you know, I've lived in London for the last 15 years and I've definitely kind of like have like a, a group of former, you know, cult kids that are, you know, yeah. some of my best friends here. Um, and yeah. I've, you know, it's been like that for over a decade now. Uh, and I expect it will, it will continue. Um, so yeah, they shouldn't be afraid. And, and I would like to encourage them to, you know, reach out to, to you or me or, or anyone, because there is this, you know, network of people that have been through it before, uh, that can offer some support and some, some guidance. Uh, and, and, you know, you're, you know, you know, the church is not going to be offering that. Uh, yeah. And I would like to say it's really scary the first couple years leaving, Yeah, but it gets a lot better. Yeah. And go to therapy. <laughs> I, I second that. I second that. Um, so what what did what did it kind of look like when you were leaving? You mentioned kind of part of it was a sort of pivotal moments with your brother, but I'm curious more like what kind of what it was like. It was like a very long process where I did have a moment in college where I must have been 19, and my college had this like lecture that I had to go to it was like a the incoming class there was a series of required lectures and one of them was on critical thinking and how Mm. to read a text and like how to read a text and and check and see if there were like to break apart the argument that the text was making and then put it back together okay and I was actually, I was such a good church kid. I was so excited to sit in this lecture because I was like, oh, I love the DP. I love all these books. Like this will help me read them and understand them even more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I ran back to my dorm room and I opened the book. And within the first couple of sentences, I didn't even make it to the whole first paragraph of the DP. I was just like, oh, this is an example of a circular argument. Like this was in the diagram as like of something to like look out for yeah. that we, the professor had given us. And I like kind of just slammed the book shut and I thought I can't keep reading. Otherwise mm. I won't be able to stay in the church. Mm. So I, I, but I kept it all to myself because I like, I didn't really tell anyone because I didn't want to be labeled like struggling teen yeah. or, you know. I didn't want to be sent to Changpyeong. I didn't want, yeah. yeah. So I just kind of tried to struggle with that and convince myself that everything was fine for a few years. And then in my mid twenties, I was already blessed to my husband, Andrew. And Andrew had this moment where he had been kind of saying stuff that was like, he said something like, you know how people are culturally Jewish, but they're like, where they like, (laughs) don't really practice it but that's just like where they're from Mm. and it's more about like eating and spending time with family yeah he's like maybe we're culturally moony (laughs) and I was just like I think I was like no what are you talking about um but then a couple months later he just had this moment where he was reading like one of the church texts and he just like he's threw it against the wall where if you ever met Andrew you know he's like the least violent person around he like threw this book and he was like this doesn't make any fucking sense yeah and then that's when he and I started talking and being like oh yeah the church is pretty dumb and then (laughs) but we like 
we quit we we were like oh well let's just like try and keep this quiet and like we'll slowly leave and and so like we sat on that for a little while and just uh I was also embarrassed at the time because I think I was like 25 or 26 and I was like wow I should have left by then my little brother had already left and I was like I'm so old and I'm still in the church I'm such a dummy I was like really embarrassed Mm, but now looking back I'm like uh, 25 is 26 you're still a baby like I was like it's okay that it took me a few years to like really like let everything sink in yeah yeah and then my brother told me about his sexuality and then I got angry (laughs) and wanted to like and it really really started hitting me like what the church had done to us as kids Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's and funny. And I was like, yeah. It's like, uh, I didn't really realize it until, for me, it was, I guess, well, it was getting divorced and well, I was having a kid and getting divorced yeah. and like, and then being able to like actually, and that mar- the marriage was to someone else who was from the church. And then the first time I could just look at, the relationship that I had and like yeah. think about some of the deep like foundational flaws in that relationship and also think about like raising my son like vis-a-vis what I had been been through yeah and I was like holy shit that was fucked up that was so, awful like, when it's like it was it was it was I guess all I'm saying is like sometimes it takes yeah. like, almost like an outside an outside yeah incident incident to like shift your perspective and really realize how fucking crazy your childhood was yeah because the thing was I was like oh I saw it as like running this gauntlet when I was a kid but I found someone in the church that I really loved and luckily we were able to get married together Mm. and so I was like oh so I like And then everyone started treating me nicely because once you're blessed, you're like considered an adult. And also there's a blessed second gen, like people are really nice to you. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, so everything worked out for me, but there's no chance of that happening if you're not straight or if the person that you love is not in the church. Yeah. And then I was like, is this fair for even for me too, that like I had to run this gauntlet to get this acceptance at the end Mm. of all of it? Like, shouldn't they just have accepted me and loved me for who I was from the beginning? Yeah. Like, it's like a false, it's the opposite of unconditional love, which is what they preach to us. I was just going to say it's conditional love. The whole thing is conditional love. It's we'll love you if you can do what, what, what you need. What if you, if you, we'll love you if you can do what, what you ask. Or, yeah. They love, they loved Akina because Akina was a straight girl who they thought like remained pure until the blessing and yeah. like got married and is like, yeah, but that's not, shouldn't be like why anyone would love me. Yeah. She'll love me for all of my skills. <laughs> my 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 book reading and horseback riding and and fun times just everything yeah everything about you but and, yeah I mean yeah like, I don't know just like just having a kid I was like yeah I love this guy like no matter what like I don't care yeah. who, who he want like who he marries and how many people he has sex with like 
you do know, you like, did you start to raise your kid in the church or what no, did you do okay no, we were we like my ex-wife and i uh we were both like out before we had a kid um so he's never like we've never done any church things with him at all so you didn't do like the eight day no fuck that nice yeah and so he's I just, a little heathen baby <laughs> yeah just so just so people know an eight day ceremony is this ceremony that's done in the church i was thinking about this recently where when you're born if you're a second i guess or third generation baby when you're eight days old they do a ceremony where they they wrap you in like a white robe and your parents are in white robes as well and they mm-hmm. like they say some prayers in front of an altar of reverend moon and his family yeah um i think there's a photo of me when i was eight days old doing that um we didn't we didn't do anything like that for for our son yeah you're supposed to like dedicate your child to god yeah i was yeah yeah yeah. basically usually there's like fruit or candy or like kind of piled up yeah yeah so so there's like an offering it's an offering table to to rev to you know reverend moon's family and basically at that moment when you're eight days old your whole life is dedicated to serving reverend moon effectively yeah you got the first uh, seven days to go crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But I, I that, that's honestly, that's something that I want to dive deeper into at some point. But I was just been thinking about that. Like, how, how, how fucking crazy is that? Like, like what you, when you're a, a tiny, tiny kid, your parents are going out of their way to dedicate your life to serve this cult leader. I guess I never thought I guess I just like in my mind assumed it was like kind of like being christened at a church but I don't I don't know I think it's I think it's more more it kind of looks like that it kind of looks like that on the outside but it's Mm -hmm. there's more it's 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 the beginning of the conditioning and yeah in, in my view it's it's the beginning of like the dedication of your life like your life is not for you it's for him and for his church effectively yeah um it kind of it starts then when you're eight days old that's so it's so interesting to me that you so you had said that you weren't in you had told your parents you wanted you didn't want to have anything to do with the church but you were okay getting blessed yeah Um, and then you got blessed yeah or what were you gonna say yeah no i mean it just it felt like the kind of like the the easiest thing to do was yeah. to, it was kind of like, Hey, if I can get blessed to someone in the church, like assuming it's a decent relationship, then I, my parents will be okay with it. They'll be okay with whatever kids I have. They won't look at it, look at my kids as some, you know, half breed uh, or something. Um, and I can kind of like, um, basically if I can make this relationship work, then I, I it can, I can kind of make my kind whole have life the best, work. I can kind of have yeah. the best of both worlds, basically. That um, sounds as so like I totally get why you did that. It sounds so sad. Yeah, uh, like uh, to do that, yeah. so your parents still love you, essentially. Yeah, that's exactly why I did it, and that's that's why my ex-wife did it. Um, that's exactly yeah. Um, I and, feel like. There were a few years ago, so you and I were actually at the same blessing. Yeah, so we Although were at the you, same. You, yeah. yeah, I didn't attend at the same place you as you, yeah. but yeah, we yeah we were married at the same time in the church's eyes. 
so I feel like about seven years ago, a lot of our friends from that blessing started getting divorced. Yeah. And I just felt like in the beginning, there was a lot of recrimination, like, like people would say like, oh, I can't believe he's breaking up with her or mm. whatever. Like, mm. and I just remember feeling so sad for everyone because I was like, oh, you guys weren't ever happy, but you tried for all of your 20s. Yeah. To, you spent all of your 20s trying to make this relationship work. Yep. Just so your parents would still love you. Yep. Like... I think I even said that to a first gen who was like, uh, like an older person who was like grumbling about kids breaking up. And I was like, <laughs> they spent all of their time doing this for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what we did. And so they wouldn't be rejected by like, it's not even your parents. It's like your primary caregivers growing up. Cause some of us didn't even have our own parents as our primary caregivers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's that whole community. Yeah, whether it's your parents or or anything, it's that community. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that that's that's what happened to me. And it's it's not to say that I mean, we, my ex and I did have good times. It's yeah, not, it wasn't it wasn't all bad. Um, totally. Yeah, uh, and I still have a lot of you know a lot of love and respect for her, and she's still actually my best friend. I would say, and that's probably going to continue like forever. Uh, uh, and we're still trying to do what's best for our son. Um, so there's no animosity there. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of love and respect. Um, but it is still, it's like looking back, it's like, well, fuck. <laughs> like yeah. we just, we did that. Like w- what else could we have done with our twenties and our thirties? And, you know, like what else could we have done uh, with, you know, I want our lives, you know? like reparations in the sense that I'm like there needs all these fucking church businesses you could be paying for my fucking therapy all <laughs> right I know at a minimum, I'm just like what can you be doing with my 20s or 30s well you could pay off some of my student loans or you know like help me out a little bit because my parents gave all of any money they made to the church yeah like <laughs> help a lady out here, yeah exactly please. exactly there should be there should be something but uh, so, I, don't, yeah. I don't think it's gonna happen I don't think it's gonna, think it's happen. gonna happen I just am like <laughs> we did it when I first left the church I thought okay well that was my past you know I'm in my mid-20s I like can have a future and a present that's not in the church yeah like like I thought it was just like a jacket you take off and you just like donate it mm, to Goodwill yeah, and you never and see gone. it again and then especially in my case it feels like every fucking six months I hear about some shenanigans my parents are up to yeah or someone's like oh they're in this video where they're talking about how gay people are like pedophiles and like they should all be put to death that was like a sanctuary church video that no and your parents are still your parents still saying that they like they they're cool with your brother while they're also are you accusing my parents of not making logical sense (laughs) i I might be i'm I'm not saying anything i'm just i'm I'm not saying anything yeah so Uh, there's like all this because i feel like enough wow church kids watch like they under I feel like other people we grew up with 
they know and they know that sanctuary church is crazy and yeah. stuff so they there are people who keep tabs on it and yeah. a lot of them do know who my parents are so sometimes i feel like i get tipped off if there's something mm. like really crazy about to happen okay um why did i bring that up oh yeah so it does feel like every time i'm starting to get in a groove and i'm like my medications are working. I love my therapist. And then it's like, oh, but do you want to look through these photos to see if your parents were in the Capitol oh. riot? Like- <laughs> yeah, Jesus. But even then, it's, yeah. Oh. It's, and, and then it's also just in therapy going through like my childhood. It's just realizing how it still affects me to yeah. deal with the little, like, can you say trust issues? Like, mm. <laughs> like yeah. It's uh, it's something that I think we're going to have to deal with for the rest of our lives in one form or another. Yeah. So what do you, when you you talk about trust issues, like how do you think this has all impacted, impacted you in terms of trust? I mean, do you trust anyone? Like, I feel like I don't think I trust anyone. No, I'm very skeptical. I feel like, yeah, I'm like, I deeply love so many people. Like, I'm a pretty, so my brother and I, I feel like we're pretty, we're two sides of the same coin. Like, he'll be really nice to strangers and he's nice to everyone. And I, I am a little bit more reserved. Okay. Like, I don't, like, I like kind of observing people for a while before I decide whether I trust them. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I'm the best person for this pandemic. I am totally okay being at home most of the day alone. There's been like two or three times during this pandemic where I'm like, oh yeah, it would really be nice to hug my friends. Mm. So there's people that I'm nice to, and there's people that have made it past all of my reserves Mm. that are in my life and I love them dearly. But still, I wait for, like, every moment I'm with them, I'm like, oh, this is the point they're going to reject me. Oh, I shouldn't, like, I should just leave them alone because they're better off without me. Mm. You know, just, like, all this bullshit in my head where I just don't trust anyone. Like, I don't. Yeah. I um, just am always ready to bolt, I guess. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I um, I mean, I, I talked about this with someone else, but f- for me, I have this deep, um, <laughs> it's like, it kind of like you, it takes a while for me to trust someone. Yeah. But once I trust them, I trust, I trust them fully. Um, uh-huh. But uh, until you gain that trust, um, if you do anything that's slightly, slightly, slightly off. I, my, my immediate assumption is that you were trying to screw me uh, and I need to fight back as hard as I fucking can to, to stop you, to stop you from screwing me. Um, and that's just, it's an immediate, like, like get like, just, just immediate, like fight as hard as you can against this, against this person. Cause they're trying to screw you. If I get any little inkling that like they're trying to fuck with me. Uh, even if they're not, even if it's just like a little, like I misread a cue or something like that. I'm yeah. just like, I got to fight now. Um, and I just know that that's about me. And then but once I trust someone, I kind of trust them fully. Yeah. Uh, but then if they, if they, after gaining my trust, if they s- 
slight me or if they let me down in the future, I, I will never forgive. I will, I, I will never, I will never forget. Um, they're always, always in my black books. Yeah. Um, so good luck to anyone, anyone, anyone that I have a relationship with in the future. Um, I mean, it's like, I just think about like in LA, there's a pretty sizable group of like ex church kids. Yeah. And I feel like we're always hanging out together. Yeah. I think a lot of us have some kind of outside friendships. Yeah. But a lot of people just stay together because we don't trust anyone else. Interesting. Like I have some girlfriends that I went, I met in various places because I will be vague. I have some girlfriends in my life that I've met over the years and I love them and think of them as my sisters and they're not from the church. Yeah. But, um, I still struggle like telling them like how I'm doing, Mm. you know? Like I've had meetings with my therapist where like we practice, okay, Akina's going to tell someone that she's having a bad day, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, like just like letting people know what's going on with me. Like I have to practice that because it doesn't keep, when were you ever encouraged as a kid to like share your feeling, like your actual feelings with someone? Yeah, never. It was like, it's, it's, it's like a, it feels like I'm learning a new language and it will never yeah. be, um, it will never be, it will never come naturally to me, but at least yeah. I can like somewhat, uh, somewhat be able to communicate with others. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we were never, we were always, we were just there to be little like show dogs to be perfect. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah. we would, no one ever asked our opinion. They just told and us if- what to do. And And if we had a, yeah, if we had a problem, it was because we were struggling because there's something wrong with us because there is some kind of like satanic battle going on in our little brains. And yeah, yeah, so I like have learned over the past few years, like, okay, you like pick up your cell phone, you find like the name of your best friend and you say, how are you doing? I'm having a bad day today. Mm. frowny emoji (laughs) instead of just sitting in your office or whatever being like okay I'm overwhelmed I'm stressed Mm. out this is all my fault if you only had it together you could figure this out yeah just like learning to reach out yeah oh that's interesting yeah uh, yeah, it's not something that was encouraged at all. We had to just keep keep on this like perfect facade and like never yeah. tell anyone that, you know, things are tough or, you know, whatever. And yeah, yeah. we were just never encouraged. Our, our our voices were never were never asked for in Yeah. In yeah. By way. the time I got help with therapy, I felt like I could just like imagine myself as like these like castle walls Mm. and like I was trying to keep up this appearance of oh these walls are strong everything's great behind these walls just don't look over the walls and find me like (laughs) crying in the corner yeah and it was so hard to go out and get therapy and to tell someone like oh I really need help yeah and it was only because other people like saw that something was wrong and like told me that it helped them that like gave me the encouragement to go so that's why I try and 
let other people know. Yeah, yeah, I would, and yeah, I would strongly encourage other people going. Even if, or if you if you left the church, you should go. If you're considering leaving church, the church, you should go. If you uh, have any, if you've ever interacted with the church at all in your life, you should definitely go. I'm yeah. sure, like everyone on the planet, would benefit from therapy, but yeah. definitely, cults are like a real. They're like professional grade shit. You can't figure it out on your own without yeah. training. Yeah, exactly. And I would also say if you can find someone who has experience in cults, yeah. even better. You may not be able to, in which case you're still better off going to a generalist than not going. But if you can find a specialist, it, it will be even more beneficial to you, I think. Yes. That's something that I've, that I've found if in you- the last few years. If you go to a therapist and you don't like them and you've been to a couple of meetings, you can always switch. Yeah. It's until you find someone that you like. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, no, it's been very beneficial for me. So I would definitely say anyone who's, anyone who's going through this, they should, they should find that resource <laughs> and, and, and use it. I feel like we should have been sponsored by one of those like better help. I know. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Maybe I can sell some ads to, yeah, to, oh, that's a great idea. Like therapy. (laughs) We keep mentioning therapy like every 15 minutes. You should rake in some of that money. Get a kickback from my therapist. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, speaking of things that require therapy later in life, um, Kate, can well, you, should be good. I, I, yeah, yeah. I got a couple of questions I want to ask you. So uh, number one, this is something I like asking people just to hear the different answers is what, um, what were you told would happen to you if you fell, if you, or so, if you were having sex before marriage within the church, basically. I feel like there's a lot of also, looking back on this, don't you feel like it's kind of gross how like all these older uncles and aunties would like want to talk to us about sex? And it stuff? is really gross. It is really gross. And the whole thing, it's like, I mean, Moon was just like, he would he would have these really graphic speeches about sex. And we would like be because it was him saying it, it was meant to be like a holy thing that was cool for us, you know eight-year-olds to listen to or whatever you know and and he was like he was he he was graphic and and then yeah we go to these workshops and these these you know these older you know second gen or first gen or whatever would also have these like really graphic talks about sex and it was just it was really it's really strange and like I don't know it's just it's 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 weird that the whole thing is 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 it's an obsession with sex coupled with a deep control of sex, uh, which is like a, it's a so great, healthy. It's a great way to control people. It's a great, yeah, it's a great way to create a very unhealthy control mechanism over people. Yeah. So I have two things I remember. It's it's kind of sideways to your point, but okay. one was being in a lecture hall with an older second gen who was talking, and he okay. was so nervous he told us he said you know i'm gonna have to tell you about the birds and the bees and everyone nervously giggled and he gave us this long talk and i still at the end thought we were talking about like animals like Uh i was like i was so confused by because he was trying to come up with so many euphemisms that it was just like 
Um, but I think at the end is where he told us a story about, uh, he said, it was a set, there was a second gen, like a good older sister who um, had saved herself for the blessing, but then she graduated high school and she got to go on a cruise as a present. First of all, this all seems very suspicious because I didn't heard of anyone like going on a cruise as a yeah, second who gen. Would like go we're on all a cruise. from very poor families, yeah. most of us. No one had the money and, and yeah. no parent would send their kid on a no cruise. No one parent parents are like, Oh good, you graduated high school. I'm gonna ship you off to volunteer for the church for two yeah. years in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so of course this turns out to be an apocryphal story that like uh. no that never existed, but he said there's this good older sister. She was on a cruise. There was this really romantic guy there and he kept wooing her. And then the very last night of the cruise, she slept with him. And then in the morning she woke up and there was this little box by on her next to her pillow and the guy was gone. And she opened the box and there was this like little teddy bear inside and on its wrist had a little... I had a little label and the label said, congratulations. Now you have AIDS. Oh my God. Or what it been a- the <laughs> fuck? What I think the- this is, <laughs> I think fuck? this is like a, like some kind of urban legend that like is not just in with our church or something. Oh my God. But what in, in- fuck? <laughs> that is horrible. So, well- <laughs> Then it was like pointed out, like, if you fall, this is probably going to happen to you. You're like, you'll probably get AIDS the next day. Whoa. So then I also, I do remember months or like years later, I probably was 16. So I knew a little bit more about sex. So that, so that story you just told you were, how, how old were you? I want to say like 12. Whoa, you were young to be hearing that. Jesus. <laughs> Fuck me, damn. Um, the six, I think when I was like about 15 or 16, our, I was in the car with my best friend, her sister and her mom. And the mom um, said, oh yeah, well in Korea in the 1800s, like Korean women would have little daggers on necklaces like maybe it was like something that the court women had, but it was like, she said, okay, this is from a white lady in Pennsylvania. I am not like taking ownership over any part of this story. (laughs) According to her, she said, oh, they had these like little knives that were like ceremonial knives around their necks. And she was like, it's good to have them. Or they had them because in case anyone tried to rape them, they could quickly kill themselves so they could go to heaven. Okay. And I was like, wait, whoa, whoa, wait. Because like suicide is, according to the church, like the worst thing you could do. Yeah. Yeah. And she was like, well, if you're going to commit suicide, so you're not raped, then it's fine. And I was like, wait, couldn't you use a knife to like kill the guy? And she was like, no, you should just kill yourself. And I just got confused. And I think I stopped. uh, That was like when I stopped talking. Jesus. So 
I had an interesting dinner like this year with some church friends, including one of the girls who was in that car. Oh, wow. We we're just talking yeah. and uh, about all the, just thinking back on all the stories our moms told us. Yeah. And I was like, oh, one of us was like, oh, I think my mom was raped on MFT. And well, I was like, I'm sorry, MFT is a, is a mobile fundraising okay. team, which is a kind of a going out in bands and fundraising thing that a lot yeah. of our parents did. So we were all like a pretty tipsy on wine. And I just remember at the end of the night, we were like, yeah, I think all of our moms were raped. Oh my God. <laughs> it was just like, cause we were all like, oh yeah. Like, I don't know. It was like the seventies like maybe before they joined the church or in the church while they were sent out on these things. Yeah. I just feel like looking back, I'm like thinking about some of the stories that all the aunties told me. I'm like, Oh, I'm pretty sure they were carrying a lot of self-recrimination from a mm. sexual assault of their own. Like, mm-hmm. I think like not to leave everyone off the hook. Cause like, I don't know if you need to like spread that down the line by like making teenagers feel like they need to commit suicide over rape but like not endorsing that but I'm just saying like a lot of these stories from the aunties that were told to us girls like make a little bit more sense to me yeah I guess if you yeah um it's still a oh man still a I mean both of those stories the teddy bear and the and and yeah, that like it's better to kill yourself than to than to get raped. It, I, I've heard that before, um, in the in the context of the church. It's a pretty, oh, it's icky, icky, and kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. This like we this crazy obsession with sex and like and like yeah yeah. Speaking of like like the aunties like, and so I'm also like a very tall person okay i'm like 511 so i'm like very like uh about six inches what is that like eight centimeters taller than the average woman in america okay so at camp i got in trouble constantly because i was going against like every um dress code because if I raise my arms like you could kind of see a little bit of skin because there's like no t-shirt in America made for a a woman (laughs) that like for a long and like I just have like the world's longest waist or something so also I had boobs and like if you had any boobs as a teen in the church that was also policed so like I just remember being a teen and like the aunties shaming me Mm. and then also the uncles shaming me in this weird way that was like like as I said I think sometimes with the aunties it was something that they were battling in their own head yeah but especially with the uncles it felt like looking back it feels like very like sexually controlling I mean it was obviously controlling and I just think like if my husband went around and was telling teenage girls that their shirts were too tight I would want to divorce him 
Like yeah. that's just fucking creepy behavior. Yeah, it's just creepy, right? It's, it's really so creepy. creepy. Like the way they would do it, yeah. it was just like very strange and creepy. Yeah, yeah, it's really creepy, and and, they, and they, that's like a pillar of the organization. Is that? Yeah, creepiness. and I was like wearing the world's like baggiest shirts that were as long as I could, and I would yeah. still get in trouble yeah. in this way. That was just like very strange. Yeah, yeah, and I um, I mean. I know, I know people like for whom, like, like they've, I know girls who've grown up in the church and have gone through similar things Yeah, and they still have hangups about, about sex and about oh, yeah. their appearance to this day. It's still impacting yeah. them. You know, people who've left 20 years ago, it's still impacting them today. It's, it's not, it, this is, it's not some, you know, innocent, innocent shit. No, it's, it's creepy men being perverted and fucking up kids is, um, is what this is. Yeah, I feel like my shirt right now, I'm like, I could probably fit two of me in this shirt. (laughs) I'm like, not like into skin tight clothes. Yeah, and do you think that's a a result of of their upbringing? Uh, Yeah. 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 Yeah, and just being shamed for my appearance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was, I mean, I think it was, that was... uh, much like uh, that shame was much greater upon women than it was upon men in the oh yeah uh in the church um it's funny i start i've have you read um have you read the testaments by margaret atwood um i cannot fucking deal with margaret atwood uh i read i did not read the testaments i read the handmaid's tale when i was in high school before i got blessed (laughs) i was like i was like this is too close to okay okay so i read the handmaid's tale a few years ago and i'm just reading i'm reading the the testaments right now Um, is that the sequel or is that a different book it's a sequel it's it's a sequel and it kind of it it follows like three women uh and at like in various points of their life like in the sort of the society like that is described in the handmaid's tale um, okay. but they they talk about how like just how like repressive it is and how like like the women will be i don't know like like will be shamed for like showing an ankle uh oh, yeah. and like and like it's their fault like it, 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 they're made to feel shame because that could incite the lust of a man uh oh, yeah. and it's, the, it's their and it's the woman's fault for, mm-hmm. for doing that if, if it incites the lust in the man uh, and that's just like one like tiny thing that happens in this book but I just remember I, I've been I, I've, I've read I don't know like a quarter of that book and I'm reading it and I'm like oh my god this is like this is like what we this is what we grew up with this yeah. th- this is what we grew up with but this is like uh, it is 10 times worse for the for, for the women basically like I'm like yeah. I like like I, I can see how like this was part of my upbringing and this is what the women were going through uh and little bits of it were also what we were going through through as boys but it's also like you know 10 times more shame just placed upon the woman uh, and you can just feel that in this in in that book yeah I showed up it was like it was like a hundred degrees outside and I had to show up to some pre-blessing interview and I wore a shirt it was like technically a tank top but it was like it covered everything. It was like kind of flowy. And then it was like a ruched top. And then it had spaghetti. It had spaghetti straps, but like the shirt went like way over my boobs, like almost to my shoulder. And there was just okay. like a little bit of spaghetti. Anyway, 
I showed up in like a hundred degree heat with that. We were supposed to go, I had like a different outfit for earlier in the day, but we had shown up and the pastor wasn't there. And then, so we came back like after going to the beach. So I had this like more casual clothing on. Mm -hmm. And during the interview, this guy started like, he took me aside into a different room and he started like grilling me about my life and he called me a slut what yeah that's like the korean pastor in church of like la he was just like he's just like yeah he it was so scary in that what the hell so so he takes you into a private room yeah uh and tells you that you're a slut yeah for where jesus for yeah and i don't know i feel like first of all like i couldn't totally understand everything he was saying because there was a little bit of a language barrier yeah but he was like and also i think i've like blocked a lot of what he was said to me Mm. but i do remember him calling me a slut and he was just like grilling me and about like the fact that i was so fallen wow because i was wearing like this is what you were wearing I was wearing like a sleeveless shirt on a really uh, hot day. Yeah. So yeah. you know me, Kina yeah. the slut. Yeah, fuck man. No, it was honestly some, I used to get, there were some of those novels that I read as a kid where I would be so angry at the person writing it. Cause I was mm. like, this is scaring me so much Yeah, like this, but I feel like I needed that. I needed to see that people thought something like our lifestyle was something you would be terrified of. Yeah. 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 I, th- I think you're right. I think you're right. And yeah, for anyone, anyone who's listening to this, like, uh, yeah, I mean, um, the Testaments is like, there's a lot in there that, that reminds me of our lifestyle. Um, are, are there any other books that kind of stick out to you is. God, I feel resonant? like I was just thinking about some of them. There is, um, wasn't totally like this, but The Giver by Lois Lowry, we had to read that in junior high okay. that has like any, essentially any kind of dystopian, <laughs> any kind of dystopian novel or movie. I usually can't be too, I can't watch. Um, I feel like Octavia Butler is an amazing writer, but I also can't really read her stuff right now okay. still okay um i will say i watched the movie carrie okay. and it felt like uh, that yeah. was like a documentary about my life <laughs> <laughs> like i was like i was like the mom puts a little too many candles up on her altar like i was just like watching the movie from some like point of view of like an expert you know i was just like because even the mom kind of looks like my mom um uh yeah i was like oh i kind of i kind of like liked it a little bit yeah um uh my brother watched the hunger we watched the hunger games and i didn't really like the movie and my brother was like oh but it kind of reminded me of growing up in korea (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was like it reminded me of our childhood so i kind of felt like Uh, nostalgic for it wow 
Yeah. Um, fuck. Yeah, I mean, well, that just that tells you something, right? If these are the things that we can relate, to, I mean, Carrie, Carrie the, the Hunger, Hunger Games? Games, Jesus Christ, <laughs> fuck, oh man, um, yeah, I should, I, I think I read the book of Carrie, but I, I never, I didn't watch the, I haven't seen the films, um, but I, I conceptually I know what it's about, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, man. She just has like a crazy religious mom that feels like who's like very controlling okay. of her. Okay. Okay. It felt very similar to my childhood. Yeah. Yeah. I know how that feels. Um actually speaking of of Carrie and uh <laughs> horror films and blood. Um there was uh, you you in the prep call. You were asked you asked um, me about this whole like blood incident, and I thought maybe yeah. we should take a couple minutes to to talk about that. Yeah. Um, so we will. I'll, I'll hand it over to you to to start that conversation. Well, I yeah. I just wanted to ask you. Actually, can I just grab some more water? Sure. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. One sec. All right. Let me just open. Yeah. No worries. Maybe now it's time to put the Baileys in my coffee. There we go. There we go. Same as my vegan Baileys. I wasn't even kidding. They have a vegan one. Well, it's no, almond it's milk almond. Oh, Baileys. Cool. All right. Nice. I decided to go vegetarian a few years ago and I thought, okay. oh, I'll just eat a lot of cheese. So it'll be great. And then I realized I'm lactose intolerant. Oh, that so. sucks. Okay. So then you're <laughs> almost, you're basically vegan by default. Mm-hmm. Like, like, yeah. It's fine. I was like. I guess dairy is just as bad for the environment as beef, so. Yeah. I just try yeah. not to be too too crazy about it. Like, sometimes I still have eggs or mm. something. Yeah. Yeah, I was vegetarian for a while. Um, actually, yeah. probably three or four years. Um, but then I stopped. And I've kind of dabbled in it here and there. I completely get all of the... the like, it 100% makes sense. Like, I, there, I, yeah. there's no rational argument not to be a vegetarian. I, did you, did you grow up? Okay. I heard growing up, yeah. if you eat meat, it keeps you spiritually grounded. <laughs> did you hear that at I all? Never heard did that. You, okay. I never heard that. Cause our church was like, a lot of cults are very into health foods and our yeah. church really isn't not really, so much. Yeah. And I think, think it might have been like a bay area thing or i don't know where it came from but i know some families really subscribe to this idea that me kept you grounded on the earth and if you're a spiritually open person aka you see have a lot of visions yeah then the thing to do is eat meat okay you know what actually this is starting to sound familiar to me so i think maybe i did hear that but i my parents never talked about it. it. It was never a thing in my, in my family, but I feel like maybe people talked about it at workshops and stuff like that. So. Yeah. I was a, like, I was never like super into like eating meat growing up. Like I'm, I'm not the person, the kind of person that like super craves meat. Yeah. And I did want to be a vegetarian when I was a kid because I liked animals. Yeah. And my parents like, wouldn't let me be a vegetarian uh. for that reason. Because they were like, your mom is oh. a spiritually open person, oh, and wow. so you might be. And 
Okay. Wow. Okay. Oh. Yeah. That was, yeah. Yeah. At I least feel like when I did it, my parents didn't oppose it. They were like, I guess, reasonably okay with it. Yeah. I feel like Andrew's not totally vegetarian or vegan, but we just like don't, he'll eat meat when we're out, like if we're ordering food, but okay. we just don't buy it for our house. Okay. Okay. <sighs> but yeah. All right. I, I don't know. Um, um, yeah, let's go back to this blood thing. Cause I, I just feel like that's a really weird, so, weird episode that the world needs to hear about. However many people are going to listen to this. I have no idea, but I, yeah. I feel like it, if they're listening to this, they're going to be interested in the blood story. I feel like at least Eris will probably listen to this. My brother will probably listen to this. So there's our <laughs> all right. audience. All right. Two, all right. We got two. We got two. We got two. I think Teddy will listen. Yeah. Listen, we'll got three. Uh, I think the other guests that I've interviewed, which is three, four other folks, I think they will listen as well. So my brother always wants to listen to see if I'm going to mention him to see what I say about him. Okay. All right. Hi, Con. I love you. (laughs) All right. We'll make sure we keep that in for him as well. Okay. (laughs) Um, So, oh, so I, so, so I feel like you should be the one talking about this because you were there. <laughs> but but, I, I, but the thing is, you you heard about this from someone else. Yeah. Which is why we started. I would I wouldn't even be talking about it with you, but you mentioned that you heard about it from someone else no. and you wanted to see if you could validate I, it with me. So I think we were so we were talking about some of the things that tipped us off for the church. Yeah. Uh tipped us off realizing that the church had like maybe a a scary underbelly yeah so actually going back to the vegetarian stuff i feel like for my brother and i both of us really loved our cat we really loved climbing trees there were different things where that we loved doing and then we would find out at church camp like that animals don't go to heaven and like trees don't have spirits and all these things that didn't feel right with us. Mm. So I have a lot of those kinds of moments where I was trying to reconcile this idea about the church with just like my own personal experience. Mm-hmm. And the, but one of the, there was this one moment when I was in middle school and I was probably around 12 where I talked to a girl that I'd moved to our town, who was another church kid. Mm-hmm. And she told me a story about being at the DC church center yeah. and donating blood. Yeah. And I got really confused because we were 12 and this had happened a couple years earlier. And I knew for a fact that children were not allowed to donate blood according mm. to the red cross like <laughs> the red cross doesn't want little like toddlers showing up donating blood this is not yeah. a this is not okay and so i was talking to her and she described going downtown or uh, going to the basement and donating blood because some church aunties asked were asking people to and then she said they still needed more blood. So she went back into the line and she donated twice mm-hmm. and she got really dizzy. Yeah. So she had to, she had to lean against the cold 
basement wall for a while before mm-hmm. she was able to walk back upstairs and meet her family. Yeah. And I just remember thinking when she said that story, this is wrong. Like something mm-hmm. about this, like something about that just gave, uh, set off so many alarm bells in my head. And I thought yeah. either she's lying or there's something wrong with the church mm-hmm. or like there's something wrong here. And I've known her now for a while. She's never lied to me before. I trust her. Mm-hmm. But the the alternate the alternate explanation is that there's something wrong with the church. Yeah. And I don't want to, as we said, I was terrified of getting in trouble with the church. Yeah. So my immediate reaction was, okay, like I imagined in that moment, this like almost like a brown cigar box. And I thought, okay, Akina, open that cigar box, put your put this story in, mm. and then tuck it into your memory. Yeah. And someday maybe you'll find an answer as to this, like as to what happened that yeah. day. Yeah. And I totally forgot about this story. Yeah. Until until there was some Facebook conversation and some second gen was posting like, does it, did anyone remember giving blood at the, at the uh, DC church? Yeah. He was like, they, they collected blood in these like rice cooker vats. Yeah. And everyone responding, all these other church kids were like, that sounds a little bit crazy. Like I've never heard of that. And I, yeah. but I saw it and I just thought, oh, this is what she was talking about. Mm. And I hadn't even told Andrew. Like I hadn't, mm. I had totally forgot yeah. it. And the memory just came yeah. rushing back to me. And yeah. I think what was so scary in that moment was I thought, have I done this with a lot of other memories? Mm-hmm. Like is what I think of as my history and my memories and my stories. Like, are there other things embedded in there that I've told myself to forget? Yeah. Anyway. I mentioned that story to you and you were like, yeah. oh yeah, I was there. <laughs> yes. So yeah, you and I spoke about this in the prep call and I was like, oh, DC church, given blood, rice cookers. Let me tell you about that. Cause I was there in that room in the basement with the rice cookers. Uh, it's some, sometime in the nineties, I was a teenager in the DC area, preteen teenager. And um there was some church condition. I don't know exactly what it was, but they said that they needed to collect the blood of members to, if I'm remembering correctly, it was to bring it to Korea uh, to do something at, I'm assuming Chungpyong, the church training ground there, uh, do some sort of like spiritual condition or sacrifice with this blood. And they needed to collect. It was either like, the blood of X number of members or like X, I don't know, liters of blood or something like that. Um, and so, oh, excuse me, the heebie-jeebies just talking about it. Um, so yeah, there's, I know the exact room that she's talking about um, in the basement. I can still picture it. I can picture the walls, the carpet, the doors, uh, everything. Um, and um, there was, I remember it's kind of like standing in line to go into this room with a few of my other friends, like teenagers who grew up there. And we went in and they 
they had, they, I think they actually had nurses there, like church members who were nurses that were doing the taking of the blood. And to, I guess, to their credit, they were doing it in a hygienic way, at least the, the bit. I love like, how much credit we give them. We're like, <laughs> they didn't reuse needles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, they didn't reuse needles. They were, it was hygienic in terms of when it was withdrawn from my body. But yes, I gave blood. I don't remember the exact amount. Um, but I gave blood, they put it in a vial. Uh, and then when they were done, they just like, I don't even remember if they like opened the vial. I think they just like, took the, they just you know like they just like plunged it out of the vial like you know they, they stuck the they stuck the needle in they pull the plunger up so so the vial is full of blood then they, then they just go take the take the take the vial over to this giant rice cooker and they and they push the plunger down and the blood just comes like straight out of the needle and goes like into this giant vat of blood um and yeah it was a rice cooker um I guess because I mean they had these giant rice cookers in the church in the in the DC church because they made rice every weekend for people. So I guess that's that's just how what they were holding it in. But um, and this this is a big like industrial like a restaurant sized rice cooker. You could yeah, probably cook like, like fifty bowls of rice in this thing. Um, and um, yeah, I I just remember I remember like they're saying like we need to take blood is for this this thing this you know, spiritual condition that has to be done in Chung Pyong. And I was like, all right, cool. Like whatever, like my parents want me to do it. We'll just give blood. Cool. We go, we do it. <laughs> no one told me about the goddamn rice cooker uh, <laughs> until I got in there. And I remember seeing the rice cooker and being like, what the fuck is this? Um, and then, you know, like, like I said, they put, they pull, they take my blood, they plunk it in. And then I walk out and I'm just like, what the, did that just happen? What, what the fuck was that? Um, so yes, I, I can corroborate that story. I was, I was there. I saw, I, I saw the blood in the, in the vat. Um, How are you going to explain that to your kid one day? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. It's not my job to explain it. It's my parents' job to explain it for putting me in, in, in that situation. Um, I like how you were like, yeah. So you, how many years older are you than me? You're three years old. Three like, years. I was like, born in 81. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're three years yeah. older. Yeah. Yeah. So you would have been like, maybe like 13 or 14 or 15. At the yeah. Point. It sounds like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause I feel yeah, like she, when she was talking about it, we were 12 It had happened like two years earlier. So okay, she would have been like nine or 10. Okay. And you would have been like a little bit older. Yeah. I say thir- 13, 13, 14. That sounds about right. I just remember it being yeah. sometime in my teen years. I don't, I don't yeah. know exactly when I can't like, yeah, I, I, I don't have a specific My friend question. that told me this was like, it's like a very tiny person who okay. was always <laughs> being, all, everyone always thought she was much younger than she was. So okay. like, essentially they were okay with someone who looked like they were six or seven coming up and donating oh. blood. So Jesus this is like uh very strange but i feel like there were there were quite a few of those moments growing up where you're like oh this is weird yeah but i'm not gonna ask about it and get in trouble yeah why would yeah there's there's no upside to asking to to questioning things um and i'm just kind of thinking loud here but it does it does kind of fit in with the church's obsession with like blood lineage and 
Uh, I just thought when they were obsessed with blood lineage, it was like theoretical. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Blood lineage based on this made-up bullshit of like, of like your lineage changes when you drink some holy wine that this fuck this that this guy like made. Like, no, it's bullshit. It's like his whole thing is based on this made-up racism of uh, of we are the chosen race now. It's it, uh, it's bonkers, but. Yeah, I th- I didn't think that they were like, oh, we really want your blood. We're like vampires. <laughs> no, 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 it was real. It was real. It was an important part of it, Akina. <laughs> oh, well, man. I guess I guess I I blanked out when they covered that in the speeches. Yeah, <laughs> like they're counting the tiles on the wall. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I think we should start wrapping up over here. It's getting late. Yeah. I need to I need to get to bed soon. Um, but um. This has been really good. I really appreciate oh, you good. taking part here. Uh, is there? Do you have anything else you want? You want to say uh, to the audience? Um, I feel like I covered. Okay, this is maybe a side point that you could just x out if it's not helpful. Okay, but. I was saying earlier that I don't think people should argue with Trump people on logic, Mm. but I don't mean to say that there's nothing, that there's nothing to do about, or that there's nothing you can do Mm. about, about Trump people or people in cults or QAnon or anything. Mm. I think these are a huge problem that we in society are going to have to struggle with the next few years. Yeah. And I don't want to make it sound like, I think it, for those of us who don't buy into a lot of conspiracy theories, it is very terrifying. And I do want to like acknowledge the fact that it's terrifying to realize even like uh, some of our elected representatives in Congress in America are um, conspiracy theorists. Mm. Um, yeah, I, this is like, probably me like just jumping on a soapbox and and uh this is my own pet theory is what I'm trying to say Mm. but it it seems like when I've studied cults that they come up in specific times right like there was a time in the 70s where there were a lot of cults yeah now we're seeing there's a lot of cults like I feel like 10 years ago when I started to tell my friends like oh yeah I grew up in a cult they were like, what was that? What like yeah. what were the 70s like? Why would people want to join things? Yeah. And of course, now the situation has totally changed where like everyone has to deal with someone in their family who's like joined a weird QAnon group or something. Yeah. And it is a terrifying experience. I feel like from what from my own personal experience, it feels like cults are not necessarily the problem. They're like a symptom of a problem. Mm. Like, I just remember this older, this church member from Russia talking about the 90s. And she was like, oh, in Russia in the 90s, like after after communism fell, there were a lot of groups and you could get anyone to join off the street. And it was great. Mm, yeah. And I just remember thinking like, oh, that's odd that like, you pinpointed like, oh, this was a great time hmm. in this turmoil. And I just feel like I'm, 
I was have been thinking about that what she said for a long time because it does feel like cults and these groups come up when society doesn't really have a strong net anymore. Mm. Like I I am I never grew up in the 70s, but I imagine that that time was really crazy. Like you had your parents who just who like fought in World War II came back said everything's fine now yeah oh but we might ship you off to vietnam to be blown apart for no reason Mm, yeah i can imagine that being a terrifying time yeah i can i can also see that like the past 40 years in america like our safety nets have been completely degraded there's people who like i had to stay overnight at a hospital a few years ago and it cost me like four thousand dollars and it was completely covered everything was in network yeah wow it's crazy and it would like cost every penny every penny i made that year that wasn't going to rent was going to them it's like when people get stressed Uh. out they look for answers and if and if the answers that their government isn't giving them or the answers that the government is giving them don't make sense, or they are feeling kind of gaslit from the government, like, oh, you know what, but the stock market's doing great, we're doing fine, then they're going to look elsewhere. Yeah. And so I feel like the, what I hope people do is to realize that, like, there's there's a lot of ways that we need to, we need to use a lot of different tactics to combat the spread of conspiracy theories and cults because mm. they destroy people's lives yeah they do. some of those are just also like making sure that you're volunteering to get out the vote and maybe like working if you can phone bank or do something for a progressive candidate in your area one that like supports a minimum wage and health care for people mm. like i just feel like the problem is that we're all being torn. Like everyone who's not a billionaire is being torn apart so that Mm. the rich can just get richer. And these people are being played. And at some level, they're also victims. Yeah, no, they are a hundred percent. I mean, just like, I mean, our, our parents were victims in our parents were victims joining the unification church. And, and I would argue, you know, people joining the modern day, internet cults are also victims it's just less clear who's who they are victims of uh, but they are still victims i think i feel like they're victims of a system in general like and yeah i just i remember like leading up to the 2016 election like listening to all the speeches and hearing hillary clinton say like you know the stock market is actually doing great like if you look at these metrics, our economy is great. And I just remember thinking like, that's when I started to get freaked out that Trump might win because it was like, you can't tell everyone in America that things are doing going okay. Mm-hmm. When we have, when like most American families have like less than $400 in the bank. Yeah. You know, it's just like, we need to be able to tell, we need people to say, hey, you know, you're working a lot of hours, not making a lot of money. 
it's really scary and stressful right now. You're drowning in debt from college. Like these are ways where we're going to help you. Yeah. And I feel like that is a tactic that I use in my life because I can't, there's also ways that you can negotiate and talk with like cult members to slowly get them to maybe see a, a, a way out of their current insanity but that takes like a lot of effort. Yeah, it does. And for I've me, tried. and it's like many years long. Like when yeah. I think of like how I left, it was like, well, I also had like really nice art teachers in high school and junior high who like encouraged me. Mm. Like simple things like that added up to yeah. me feeling comfortable to leave. Yeah. So you like, it's not like if this world scare, if this world is scary to you, like it is to most of us, there's things you can do that to make the world better that aren't terrifying. Mm. <laughs> or, or there's things that you can do to make the world better and there's a place for you in it. You know, like I just feel like it, it, people, I think sometimes wring their hands and think like, oh, we have to go confront everyone or, you yeah. know, like what can we do? And I just feel like just recognizing that these cults are a symptom and they're being played by these like larger organizations. And so maybe like fighting for like, maybe like circumventing the problem and instead participating in a call for Facebook to like regulate their site better or YouTube or like, there's so many things that you can do that like aren't emotionally taxing, like jumping into an argument with a QAnon supporter. Yeah. Yeah, I've been there. It's, a, it's yeah, emotionally taxing is a understatement. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. that was my mini rant. All right, no, that's good. That's good. Um, yeah, that's that's good. Thank you for that. Um, all right, well, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's wrap it up there. Thank you. Let's um, wrap it up. Thank if you very you... much, Akina. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> all right i'm gonna i'm gonna hit stop recording but we can keep talking all right okay Uh. folks there you have it the end of the interview with akina and i want to say thank you so much to akina for getting involved um upon reflection and listening back on this she's got an incredible story and she's unfortunately been faced with some of the worst aspects of humanity that have been forced through the fucked up meat grinder of the unification church and then into the bastard son of that that is the sanctuary church she's really gotten i mean fuck fuck me what a story um and i also just want to kind of drill into some of the wisdom that akina showed in this and and the way that she analyzed um, the place that cults have in the world and the the fact that they seem to thrive when the world is in turmoil. Um, And she actually followed up this interview with um, sort of a few few clarification points and and, um, really was made a very cohesive and cogent argument that, um, you know, the rise of Trump and QAnon and, and extremism in 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 all forms has been predicated by the the erosion of 
the social contract, particularly in the U.S., the erosion of any of the the programs and the, the the things that that helped to keep society together. And that's been eroded by, guess what, the right wing over time. So this extremism that we're seeing is it, it's a natural extension of the philosophy of Moon and of many other cults. Um, and it's all fed into this world that just feeds more cult-like behavior and cult-like enthusiasm. And I don't know where that leaves us, but I'm hoping that for people listening to this, they can get something meaningful out of it. And again, that we can add to the overall discussion and dialogue around these points. And I want to say thanks again to Akina. Um, Everything you've described is incredibly heartbreaking and... um, you know, my heart goes out to you and to your brother and, you know, your family's been ripped apart by this whole fucking thing. And that's, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to hear that. And I'm sorry, um, sorry to hear that, but I'm just grateful that you're, you're able to share your story and I'm hoping other people can get some value out of it. Um, thank you again to everyone for listening so far and for the support that you've given me in many types of ways. Uh, just a friendly reminder, you can contact me on my website at fallingoutpod.com or on Twitter at fallingoutpod. If you'd like to uh, contribute uh, as an interviewee, you can contact me on there. Um, if you would like to contribute financially, I would certainly greatly appreciate it, and I very much appreciate all the, the support I've gotten that way so far. Uh, it's on patreon.com slash fallingoutpod. And just on a sort of ending housekeeping note, um, I don't know how pedantic y'all are, but um, in the very first episode uh, of Welcome to Falling Out, I said that in the first eight episodes, as in the first four interviews, I was going to be covering a a variety of topics. One of those topics was international cash smuggling. And you will have noticed that I have not technically mentioned that in the first eight episodes. And I'm very sorry to disappoint, but let me explain. The person that I interviewed about that uh, was originally slated to be episodes 7 and 8. Um, however, I spoke to Akina, on, and given the relevancy and currency of and recency of everything that we spoke about in Akina's episode, I decided to bump her up in the order. Uh, and so you're going to have to wait for the next two episodes, uh, episodes 9 and 10, uh, I won't disclose the guest name yet, uh, but we talk all about a lot of things there. We talk about District 12. Did you know the church actually gave district names just like in the Hunger Games? Yeah, we talk about that. We talk about the international cash smuggling. And we talk about a whole lot more. Uh, please stay tuned for the next episodes coming soon. And I guess if you really want to chase me, you can like contact me on my website. Um and tell me I should be publishing more. If that's really how you want to spend your time. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.